Hello everyone, this is Pastor Jay Tyler from Holt Assembly of God, and I want to thank you for listening to this broadcast of Life in the Spirit. I pray that you are challenged, blessed, and encouraged as you hear God's Word shared in this message. So today's message is part three of our series, Back to the Basics, and in this series we're talking about returning to and re-engaging the basics of our faith. And our key verse for the series is Revelation 2.5, and of course it's Jesus speaking to John, revealing to John, and he's revealing some things about the church of Ephesus in this verse. Remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. So repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So what is Jesus saying to the church of Ephesus? He's saying, listen, you guys need to go back to the drawing board. Go back to the basics. Start doing what you used to do because, you know, it's easy in this fallen world that we get off track. And I don't know about you, I, in my walk with God, I get off track every once in a while. I start kind of just, you know, a little bit here and there. And then before you know it, I'm out here and I'm just, I feel like uh, my relationship with the Lord isn't as strong as it should be. And so this is just kind of a reminder to re-engage and encourage you to go back to the basics. Go back to basic spiritual disciplines which will build and grow your faith. So what are spiritual disciplines? And spiritual, spiritual disciplines are, are basically defined this way. They are habits, practices, and experiences that are designed to develop, grow, and strengthen certain qualities of our spiritual life. I think this is what Paul's talking about to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, 7, 8. And he says this in verse 7, but reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself towards godliness. Exercise yourself towards godliness for boldly exercise, bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of life that now is and of that which is to come. So spiritual disciplines are basically going to translate into this a godly lifestyle. And spiritual disciplines weaken our flesh, but they strengthen our spirit. And Paul compares spiritual disciplines to exercise in our physical body. That's good stewardship. We should exercise and, and different things, take care of our bodies. But remember, those benefits are just temporal. But the benefits of spiritual discipline is, are not only for now, but for eternity. So Paul's just likening uh, spiritual discipline to physical exercise. Spiritual disciplines, when coupled with the empowering of the Holy Spirit, will lead towards godliness and helping us to become more like Jesus, and hopefully that is our goal, is to become more like Jesus. So in the last message, or excuse me, the first message of the series talked about uh, we need to re-engage uh, the Word of God, studying the Word of God, reading the Word of God, memorizing, journaling, whatever you need to do, but just but getting our time uh, in the Word of God, and then also not only doing that, but just reading it, but looking for ways to apply it to our daily life. God, what are you saying to me? What are you speaking to me? How, do, how can I put this into practice today? All other spiritual disciplines hinge on our commitment to God's Word. And uh, last week we spoke about uh, the spiritual discipline of worship and how worship is more than what we do here on a Sunday morning. Worship is a lifestyle. It's really just committing ourselves to the Lordship of Christ, continually putting Jesus back on the throne of our hearts and worshiping Him. Because whatever is on the throne of our hearts, whatever gets our affections, our time, our resources, that's what we worship. So we want to continually put Christ on the, on his, in his proper place. That's on the throne of our hearts. Today I want to talk to you about the spiritual discipline of, of evangelism. And, you know, this is probably one of the most overlooked uh, spiritual disciplines in Christianity. Jesus said this in John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. 
So what does that have to do with spiritual disciplines? I'm glad you asked. If you love me, keep my commandments. So look at this now. Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. What do we call that verse? The Great Commission, right? The Great Commission. So throughout church history, I mean, it's not like something we, we just come up with recently. This is something that is centuries old, something we, we've defined as the, the marching orders of Christianity. I mean, the, these are the marching orders of our commander-in-chief, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is our purpose as a church, to advance the kingdom of God. So the word commission, if you look it up in the dictionary, it just simply says it's an instruction, a command. A command or a duty given to a person or a group of people. So the Great Commission is not something we conveniently decide to do. It's a command. It's a command of the Lord Jesus to go and make disciples. Listen, if we fail to make disciples, we fail our mission. This is our purpose. This is our reason for being. Some say, well, I thought it was to be worshipers. If you don't have converts, if you don't have disciples, you don't have worshipers. Step one, you must have worshipers worshiper so it begins with a relationship with jesus it's not like we just suddenly wake up one day we become worshipers of god so it's something that is intentional it's it's part of who we are if we fail to make disciples we fail to make worshipers evangelism is is very simple Uh, it starts the discipleship process and evangelism really just has three basic components when you think about it, it's just three basic components number one share your personal story share your own testimony Number two, share what the Bible says about salvation. And number three, give a person an an opportunity to respond, to receive Christ as Savior. So when you share your testimony with someone and they're receptive, listen, if you've got a fish on the line, reel them in. And this is what I mean by that. Don't just tell them your story. When you've got the ear, then you give them the word of God. Don't stop short there. Don't be afraid to, to use the J word. The name Jesus gives life. Don't be afraid to hold back. If you've got a fish on the line, you reel them in. Just say, you know what? Romans 3.23, for example. For all have sinned and fallen short. I'm a sinner just like you. We're all the same. We're in this together. No one's any better than, than any other person. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. I mean, go to Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God loved you so much that he gave his one and only son as a sacrifice to atone for our sins. And if you want to enjoy God's love, experience his forgiveness, and receive his gift of salvation, turn to him by faith. Repent of your sins. Give him your life. Share with them that without without forgiveness of sin, there's one conclusion. It leads to death. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, I don't know if, if you already just picked up what I did. But I'm sharing something with you that has been, it, it as well is centuries old. It's a technique, it's a tactic that, that Christians have used for centuries. It's Romans Rose. That's all it is. When you share your testimony and someone is receptive, just take them down Romans Road. If you don't know where else to go, just go to those three scriptures. Just start there and you can't go wrong. Because you're like, well, I don't know, really know what to say. Or, you know, just take them to the word of God. Your testimony is powerful. And it opens the door. But the Word of God is living, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It will do the work that God has, has called it to do, set it forth to do. The Spirit will come active with the Word of God. Don't be afraid to share God's Word. 
You know, tell a person this, Jesus already paid for the, their salvation. And in order to benefit from this payment, they must repent of their sin and they must turn their life to Jesus by faith. Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If they've gone that far, ask them, do you want to receive Jesus right now? Do you want to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Give them an opportunity to say with their own mouth, to confess with their own mouth, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross, you rose from the grave, and I place my life in your hands by faith. Be my Lord, be my Savior. If that's all you can pray with them, then that's good enough. But please don't hesitate to introduce them to Christ. Once you've done this, invite them to church. Invite them to church. Why? Well, they need to be baptized, number one. I know baptism is not required for salvation, but if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you should be baptized. It's a great discipline to teach them that this is something we do to identify with Christ. It's something you should do. And what you begin to do, you begin to place commitment on that person already. A disciple of Jesus is a learner and a follower. Listen, this is the place where they begin to begin to be disciples. So they need to be baptized. They need to be disciples. Tell them this, I'll meet you at the front door. I'll sit with you at church. I'll pick you up. My family, I will come by. We'll pick you up. You can ride with us to church. You can follow me. Whatever you need to do, invite them to church. Uh, sometimes we like to skip that step right there. We just want to invite people to church. Inviting people to church is good. I want you to keep on doing it, but it's not evangelism. There's nothing wrong with inviting someone who's looking for a church home. You should invite them. If someone is saying, Matt, what church do you go to? You invite them to church. It's a no-brainer. Uh, if they're a sinner, though, and they need salvation, share your testimony with them. Number one, it's something that's irrefutable. It's your story. It's what happened to you. It's how you gave your... You can argue about the Word of God all you want, but they can't argue your story, your experience, what happened, how you gave Jesus your life. It is the open door. And when they see, listen, man, God changed you. You were a sinner. You weren't perfect. You're like me. But God's done all this in your life. It opens the door. They're receptive to God's word. At that point, point them always towards the word of God. Don't point them to a church. Don't point them towards me. Point them to God's word. Ask if they'd like to receive Jesus as Savior. Church, this is our duty. This is, this is our obligation to lead people to Jesus, to bring them to church to be disciples. One of the major hindrances we have in, in Pentecostal circles especially is we have this attitude towards evangelism. Come and see. Come and see. Just come and see. Unfortunately, this is how we engage in evangelism. We invite people to come and see our church. Come experience our wonderful worship. Come and meet our pastor. Come and take advantage of our children's ministries, our youth ministries. And that's good, but that's not evangelism. It, 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 there is no testimony. There is no word of God. There is no call to salvation. It's not evangelism. It's simply an invitation to the church. Again, nothing wrong with them. But if they need Jesus, they don't need church. They're going to need church, but they first need Jesus. Imagine this. You have an opportunity to share Jesus with someone. God's opened the door. You've got a fish on the hook, but you refuse to reel them in. Instead, you can do this. Hey, come to my church Sunday. Sounds like a good idea. Come to church Sunday. Hear my pastor preach. And maybe he can lead you to Jesus. That sounds all fine and dandy, but listen, I'm, just being, I'm not trying to be grotesque about this. I'm not trying to be a downer on this, but imagine this. You invite that person to church, and on the way to church, they get in a car wreck and they die. It's not such a good idea then, is it? 
It's a terrible idea. Because you had a fish on the hook, all you had to do was share Jesus with them. See, what I'm trying to say is don't wait for Sunday to share Jesus with someone who is dying in their sin today. Sunday may never come for them, and it may never come for you. See, my calling as a pastor is very clear in Scripture. I think this is something we get very wrong in a lot of churches. We believe it's the pastor's job to evangelize. It's not. You know who I deal with? Church people. That's, that's who I deal with. Because I'm a pastor. That's, that's my, this is who I deal with. You all. Guess who you all get to deal with? Lost people. Ephesians 4.11 And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. God loved their soul for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That's my job. That's my calling. It's to train, to equip, to release the church to do what Jesus has called us to do. And number one, that is evangelism. That's our calling. I, I preached a message similar to this a few years ago, and I, I'm serious. I can't make this stuff up. I preached a message. In fact, it was a, a series on, on winning the lost. And we had lunch after church, went over to the fellowship hall, and I noticed there was someone new, and I, I thought, I'm going to go sit with this person. And there was a person there from our church, sat down to lunch with them, and I'm getting ready to, to just have a conversation with them. And this person blurts out, they need to get saved. And I mean, I'm just, I, had, I looked like I had scorpions come out of my head, I'm sure. I, I was just shocked. And before I knew it, the words came out of my mouth, then why aren't you leading them to Jesus? I mean, did you not? I'm serious. I go both barrels. I said, are you kidding me? I just preached a series on this. We just prayed at the altar for lost people, and you have someone right here, and you refuse to share Jesus with them. What's wrong with you? Well, that's your job. I, I was never more frustrated than in that, that time right there because I thought, how can we be so biblically illiterate and stubborn and calloused when you have someone right there who is dying and going to hell without Jesus and you pawn that responsibility off on someone else? This is the reason why churches, it doesn't matter what denomination, churches all over our nation are declining or have plateaued in growth. It's because we have this lack of personal responsibility towards evangelism. 60 to 70% of all churches in America, across all denominational lines, they have declined or are plateauing. Churches that are growing share a common thread. The common thread between growing churches is their engagement in evangelism. It's not about a vibrant worship service, believe it or not. It's not about quality children's ministry and youth ministry. That's important, but it's not the reason why those churches are growing. It's because those churches are personally engaged in evangelism. They have programs, they have special days, whatever they do, whatever they can do to get the church to go out there and beat the drum, share the message, they do it. You know this, that 90% of Christians, 90% of Christians in America have never personally led anyone to Jesus. 90%. Of that 90%, most of those people, when they led someone to Jesus, it was an immediate family member. Let me ask you this. When's the last time you personally shared your testimony with someone and you shared with them the Word of God and you prayed with them and they received Jesus as Lord and Savior? Unfortunately, our great commission has become our great omission. 
See, most Pentecostals, we don't even know our history. We don't even understand why we're Pentecostal. Well, it's vibrant, it's exciting, it's this or that. We don't even understand why the Pentecostal church came into being. You know, in the late 1800s, there was this massive effort on the part of churches, all, all denomination lines. You know this, the Assemblies of God didn't exist until the early 1900s, right? We are really a conglomeration of a lot of different denominations coming together. You had Methodists, you had Baptists, you had all sorts of people that are the genesis of who we are. But in the late 1800s, there was this effort of churches to, in Western society. They looked around at, at what was going on in the world. You know, technology had increased. But, you know, when things would happen uh, around the world, it could be days, months, years before you ever knew something happened. But as technology advanced, you know, things that happened around the world became closer. And Christians started to know this, that the current events that are taking place they're pointing to something. Jesus is coming. His, his return is imminent. So we better get busy evangelizing the world. So modern day missions movement began and began with that imperative. Jesus is coming. The fire, the fervor of winning lost people suddenly dwindled out because the missions movement began very ineffective. It was, it was very ineffective at reaching lost people in lost people groups. And they couldn't understand why is it? How is it that that the book of Acts is filled with these stories where, where, where uh, the apostles and, and disciples are going to, to foreign cultures, to places where they maybe don't know the language, and they share Jesus, and the church grows. How can that be? <clears throat> they don't have any modern technology. How are they doing this? So Bible teachers, professors, denominational leaders say, we've got to get our heads together. We've got to get back to the Word of God. Where's the best place to examine what's the best what's the best place for our laboratory it's the word of god let's go right to the book of acts it's the history of the church how was the church so effective at reaching lost people they studied the book of acts and they questioned how did they do this so effectively and with that question there was there's these bible colleges that were pop up these little miniature bible colleges or short-term bible colleges that popped up all around the nation and they would study the scriptures on evangelism. How did the early church win lost people? Well, they quickly looked at the book of Acts and they noticed an experience that they'd all forgotten about. An experience that they combined with salvation. It was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So in response, these folks had all these, these, these Bible colleges. They would study it. None of them had received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But they saw it as a promise existing in scripture. That we need to get back to the word of God. So out of those small little <coughs> Bible colleges, we can kind of focus back on one because in Topeka, Kansas is where it all began in the 1800s. The modern-day Pentecostal movement, we always like to say Azusa Street, but it's actually years before that. It was in Topeka, Kansas. Then it moved on to Houston, Texas, then finally in Los Angeles where we had the Azusa Street Revival. We used to have these courses available in Bible colleges. We used to teach on the history of the Assemblies of God. Because we began as a missions movement. That, that was our main purpose, was really, we have church here, but yeah, we are sending missionaries out. That was our call, that was our purpose, that was our heart. And, and so that was, I mean, most Pentecostals don't even know why they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, I just received the baptism of the Holy Spirit so I can speak in tongues. So I can dance around and do this and that, or I can be excited. No, 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 no. It's not about spiritual manifestations. The reason, the genesis, the very beginning, the reason why people want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit was simply this power to be a witness. Power to be a witness. 
You know, the events that happened at Azusa Street from 1906 to 1915, it got fruity at the end, but the heart of it was this, to receive power, and there's so many missionaries that came hungry. They really came looking for a foreign language so they could help evangelize quicker, but what they really encountered was this, the power and the presence of God. The event triggered a massive missions movement. It's still going on today. Unfortunately, most, most Pentecostals don't know our history, don't even have a clue. I don't know about you, when I read the book of Acts, especially what occurred on the day of Pentecost, those who experienced the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, they were not focused on tongues. They were not focused on spiritual manifestations whatsoever. Here's, again, I've used this example before. If this was today, if we had a modern day move of God, and we had all these spiritual manifestations, we'd be so focused on the manifestations, and we would miss the purpose of the manifestations. The manifestations were simply proof of a work taking place. It was, it was evidence, tongues as evidence. But it wasn't the purpose. What did they do when they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost? Man, let's just have church again in the upper room again tomorrow. They had an experience and they went out immediately and began to preach the gospel. Immediately. I mean, those who overheard what was taking place it had their ears. It had sparked their interest. And they go out of the upper room and they share the gospel. If you want to understand really what the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, it's souls. It's power to be a witness. And we miss it so poorly in Western society and Pentecostal churches. We think it's all about the dance. It's all about rolling on the floor. It's about how wild and zany the Holy Ghost show can get on Sunday morning. We focus on, on the manifestations. It's a travesty. Well, if we get something cooking here, people come to church. No, if we fall in love with God's word and receive his anointing and go out and preach the, preach the lost, we would fill this church in a day. Look what Jesus said before he ascended into heaven. Three verses in Acts. Acts chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 4 and 5, and then let's get down to verse 8. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So they're saved. They've already received, the, the, they've already born again. Jesus breathed on them the day of the resurrection, the evening, excuse me. So they've been waiting now for 40 days, and he leaves them this promise. But this is it, verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be what? Witnesses to me. Martus is the Greek word. Where do we get that word? Where does that word sound familiar from? Martyrs. Martus. You shall be martyrs to me. And in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You know, I don't know about you, there are still parts of this world that has not been reached yet. The promise is good. The promise is valid still today. There are people all over our community that have never heard the name of Jesus, believe it or not. The purpose for receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit is all about receiving the power of God to be a witness. And that is biblical Pentecost. The, the Apostle Peter. 50 days prior to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he denies Jesus three times. I mean, he is afraid of being known as a follower of Jesus. I mean, even a little servant girl comes up. You are one of them. You're, you're Galilean. And no, 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 no. He's afraid. He's ashamed. I mean, Peter fails so poorly that when afterwards he goes back to Galilee, he starts fishing again. 
Jesus has to go get him after the resurrection, restore him. But here, here he is, 50 days later, filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit. What does he do? He's not a trained priest. He's a fisherman, for crying out loud. doesn't mean he was stupid or ignorant. It means this. He was not a trained speaker. He was not a theologian. But yet he goes into the temple courts of all places, the center of Judaism, where all these teachers of the law are, and he begins to preach the Word of God, and 3,000 people get saved. Now, that is not by accident. And I don't know about you, you put the two and two together, God said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be my witnesses. This happens with Peter, and 3,000 people get saved. That's the reason. This is the reason for a true biblical Pentecost. We're called to engage in soul winning. It's a spiritual discipline. It's a spiritual discipline that will build your faith. Listen, there is nothing like sharing Jesus with someone and them getting saved and you getting to pray with them. There's nothing like it. And when you get to do that, you not only benefit from it spiritually, it grows, it strengthens your faith, it encourages you, but it blesses someone. It blesses someone for eternity. As a pastor, it, it grieves my heart when I hear people speaking in tongues, but no one leads a soul to Jesus. How can that be? Here's what it causes me to do. It causes me to question the authenticity of that experience. It must, because the evidence is there before me. I don't know about you, I want to see miracles, Amen. Go preach the gospel. Signs and wonders will follow those who believe. See, we, we all automatically put that on us. Well, I believe. No. Go preach the gospel because signs and wonders. Look what the ministry of Jesus, when he would go and preach, signs and wonders followed him. I, don't know, I want to see God heal the sick, raise the dead. Amen. Go and preach the gospel. See, Benny, being Pentecostal is not about speaking in tongues and spiritual manifestations. But boy, you go to most Assembly of God churches or Pentecostal churches, you would not know that is the core of who we are, that souls. You wouldn't know. You'd only know this. Well, man, they're crazy there. Or man, that church is alive. You know when a church is alive is when you're winning the loss. You can, you can play church all day long and have fun. You can work yourself up. You can get emotionally high. You can do all these things. But at the end of the day, Pentecostal is all about this, being spirit-empowered, living a life that testifies to the glory of God, and then with that power upon you, you win others to Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, you are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Verse 15, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven the light that shines within us is christ via the holy spirit he's radiating that's the desire of god to radiate through us the, the glory of jesus whenever whenever our lives change and we become more like christ the the light within us is more radiating listen you know when you come into the presence of someone who has a close relationship with god you just know it they don't have to say a word you can just tell by their actions their personality you, you just can pick it up. Are people seeing the light of Christ in you and through you? Because if they are, listen, it is an open door for you. It is an open door. I mean, people are taking note whether they're saying anything to you or not. They know something's different about that guy. Something's di- and listen, they know the difference between religion and what's genuine. They know the difference. They can see that we think sinners are stupid. They're not. They're smarter than us. They can see right through it. 
And we can't understand, why don't, why don't they want to get on board? <laughs> because they'd rather be on the bus they're on. It's a much funner ride. Are people seeing the light of Christ in you and through you? Is your testimony more than words? Is your testimony sustained by a life dedicated to Christ? Church, again, the Great Commission is not, is not something that we volunteered to do. It's, our, it's an obligation. What happens when we fail to share the gospel with lost people? What is the outcome of putting a, a cover or a basket over our light, hiding the light to the lost people around us? Can I tell you what happens? Darkness prevails, and we got the mess that we have in our nation right now. We are our own worst enemies in this. We are complicit. We are complicit. You say, oh, no, no, we are complicit. The only thing that keeps light from shining is us putting a cover on it. Darkness will prevail if we put a lid on it. The answer is not political. It will never be. It's a system of man. I don't care how good it is. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ, only the power of God can transform a human life. Do you know where Jesus began his public ministry? Look at this, Matthew chapter 4. Now when Jesus heard that John had been put to prison, he departed to Galilee. And after leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum which is by the sea, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, saying, Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region and the shadow of death, light has dawned. Why not start your public ministry in the heart of Judaism? Why not go to Jerusalem and preach that he's Messiah? Preach the kingdom of God. No, he went and went to the most darkest, the most forgotten place of Israel because of the, the mix of, of Gentile and Jews in that place, the most dark and forgotten region of the country, and he goes and he plants his public ministry right there and begins to preach the gospel. He goes to where there's darkness and he preaches light. That's our calling. That's our purpose. Jesus did a, a majority of his, his ministry, his miracles, in that region. Listen, there are people living in our community, they live in the darkness of addiction. Who's going to set them free? Only Jesus can. Church can't. I can't. Only Jesus can. Only the power of the Holy Spirit can set them free. Some live in the darkness of abuse, chains, shackles, trauma. Who's going to set them free? Who's going to heal them? You can't, we can't, but Jesus can. Some live in the darkness of religion, just lost, I mean lost in religion. Sometimes they're the hardest people to reach. Well, how, they all got, the only way they're going to be set free and see the true light is to have a true encounter with Jesus. Because again, it, it's hard to find people in our community that they don't have some type of knowledge, you know what I'm saying? I know there are people out there, but everyone thinks they're saved and they're going to heaven. Sometimes those are the hardest people to reach, right? And when your life is completely different from theirs, and yours looks a bit more genuine than theirs, they take note. But listen, if the lines are blurred, they don't see any difference between you and them. They are not going to come to the light. Some people live in the darkness of poverty, ignorance, hopelessness. Where, where in the world are they going to learn? Where are, where are they going to experience that? Listen, they're not going to just stumble into Holt Assembly of God or, or Holt Baptist Church or one of the other churches in our community. Listen, you've got to go out to the highways and byways and compel them to come in. Establish a relationship with them, a dialogue. 
share Jesus with them. Most of you are familiar with the parable of the talents. And, and the talents we know are, are measures of, of money in this case. And uh, the master puts a certain amount of gold in each of his three, in the care of three of his servants. You know, to one servant, there's five talents, to another two, and to the third, one talent. Master goes away on a long journey. Master returns from his journey, finds that two of the three have put the talents to work, right? The one who has five has doubled it. The, one who has, has, uh, the other one has doubled. And the third one is the one I want to focus on the most. The one who has won, he's the one that went and hid his money, did nothing. But really at the heart, what is that parable about? What is the spiritual lesson? The spiritual lesson is pretty simple. There is a matter of responsibility. It's a matter of responsibility. I gave you this, and you were responsible for it. Now, what did you do with it? It's not a a financial message, even though it's dealing with money. The heart of it is responsibility. I, I put this into your care. Are you following me where I'm going with this already? Because the gospel has been put into our care. The furthering of the kingdom of God is put into our care. It's all about responsibility. Jesus is the master. We are the servants. Jesus puts the responsibility of evangelism in our hands. Because if not, church, if not, then we have to get on on the boat with the Calvinists and say God saves who he wants to save, God condemns who he wants to condemn. It doesn't matter what we do. Who's going to hell is going to hell, and who's going to heaven is going to heaven. Because whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whosoever. Our imperative, it's our responsibility to share Jesus. The great news is we get to do that. We get to be a part of God's plan. See, like the parable, though, we are, we are going to be held accountable because where there's responsibility, there's accountability. I'll be responsible for everything I say and I do for this church. Jesus has left the responsibility of sharing the gospel and expanded the kingdom to us. So with that in mind, 2 Corinthians 5.10, look at this. This is not written to unbelievers. This is written to us, to believers. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. This verse is again written to Christians. God has placed us in places where there is darkness. There are people who live in darkness all around us. But you have light. The light within you is Christ. What they need is in you, in this earthen vessel. God strategically places you in the path of people. I believe that with all my heart. That God places us strategically to encounter people. And we can be a witness. Our life can be a witness. But listen, I've heard this preach the gospel often use words, right? Meaning your actions should, and I, I agree with that, but use words. Because some people say, I just live a Christian life for them. No, that's not evangelism. I'm sorry, it's not. Because evangelism is this. It's very three simple components. Your testimony, that's great. You've lived it before them, but you've got to share Jesus with them. You can't have one without the other. It's not evangelism. It's good. It's decent. It's what we should do. But at the heart of the matter is this. You've got to come down to this person God's put in your path to establish a relationship, to be an example you are responsible to share Jesus with them. If they were dying, if they were, if they were in a river, they were, they were drowning, they needed a life preserver, and you had it, wouldn't you throw it into them? But why do we hold it back? People are slipping into tyranny without Jesus. And people God has put in our place. People God has called us to reach. And we will be accountable for those people. I understand that they have to make a decision, but it's our responsibility to share. If they reject what you share, they don't reject you. 
they reject Jesus. It's not on you. Once again, I'd like to thank you for listening to this message. It was an honor to be able to spend this time with you in God's Word. If you have any questions or would like to find out more about Holt Assembly of God, please go to our website at www.holtag.org and connect with us there. Until our next broadcast of Life of the Spirit, I hope that you have a great day as you serve the Lord Jesus with a grateful heart.